The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. All right, you can uh, turn with me uh, in your Bibles if you have them with you. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, there are some out front, as Peter said. Uh, but we're also going to have the main text here uh, behind me on the screen. Uh, just to know, we will have a time for questions afterwards. If you guys uh, are looking for any clarity on something or more information, I will do my best to answer them for you. Uh, we don't have Jacob's phone this morning, so uh, you're going to have to be willing to raise your hand. But uh, we'll be more than happy to try to answer those for you. Uh, so I'm going to read our passage for us, um, and then I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. So Luke chapter 9, starting verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and he had them sit down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, um, for preserving this story for us uh, that we could read today and just learn about your heart for us in ministry, Lord. I just pray that you will um, calm our hearts and just uh, move throughout our uh, being with your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, in this passage, we see two amazing scenes. Uh, first of all, we see Jesus give power and authority to the 12 uh, disciples, which we met earlier in Luke. Uh, and he gave them power to perform sorts of miracles. Uh, we also see the famous story of uh, Jesus feeding 5,000 men, uh, plus women and children, uh, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. 
Now, these two powerful stories are kind of part of the disciples' origin story for you superhero people out there. It's kind of like in a superhero movie when we see the superhero first get their powers and they start learning how to use them and you know, start trying to help people with them. Uh, you see them make mistakes along the way, but eventually they um, you know, get confident in their ability and will defeat the big bad guy at the end of the movie. While there's no big bad people that the 12 face, um, we will see later that they will um, become quite confident in their ability, in their authority and power. Um, this happens in the book of Acts, which is kind of the second, second part of Luke's writing. But for now, and throughout the rest of the book, we're going to see uh, the disciples do say and do many great things, but we're also going to see them do some epic fails as well. As we start on this journey with the disciples in chapter 9, we're going to see an overall theme that I think Jesus wants to teach us today. And that is that Jesus desires to share his mission to spread the gospel. While we've seen so far in Luke that Jesus is more than capable of doing everything on his own, that's not where his heart is. His heart is to share his ministry with us. We're going to see in this passage that he is going to empower us, provide for us, and give us grace in ministry. The first thing we're going to see is how Jesus empowers us. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 2. He does this in two ways. First of all, he shows us how to do it, and then he gives us the ability to do it. Now, leading up to this passage, we see the 12 disciples um, being sent out on a mission in this passage, but before we saw them in the limelight where they were commissioned, Jesus set them apart as being his apostles or his sent ones. <clears throat> These two moments, their commissioning and calling, were very important to the disciples' lives. But they weren't, however, just out of the blue and random. Jesus didn't just say one day, hey, you guys over there, I want you to go tell me or tell others about me. And the next day, say, oh, all right, great. I told you what to do, now go do it. Um, that's not the pattern we see here um, in the text. In chapters 4 and 5, we saw Jesus doing miracles and teaching, and all the while he was collecting the disciples. Until finally in chapter 6, we see, them, he, we see him setting apart the 12 disciples as his apostles or his authorized spokespeople. So before he commissioned them, he showed them who he was and what his ministry would look like. Once they were commissioned to be his sent ones, we notice that he didn't send them out right away. In chapter 6 or 8, we see Jesus continue to do his ministry and teaching and healing. In doing this, Jesus was showing his disciples how to do what they were going to be doing and also teaching them what the kingdom of God would look like so that he could share that with other people. Through these experiences, Jesus was equipping and empowering his disciples to do his work for him. We can also see the same pattern in our lives. God gives us the Bible so we can see who he is and what he's all about and how to live out our lives to worship him. Jesus did not just call us to be his followers and share his love with others without an idea of how to do it. Jesus wants us to be part of his ministry, so he equips us and empowers us to show us how to do this through his actions and teachings. Now that Jesus has shown the 12 how to do ministry, he sends them out with these two objectives. First of all, to heal, 
and to proclaim the kingdom of God. In order to do this mission, he gives them power to cure diseases and authority over demons. These two actions were a key part in Jesus' ministry. Um, I'm sure, you've, as you've heard in Luke, repeatedly we see Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons. So Jesus did not just give them a menial, lesser task. He was inviting them to share the main part of his mission with them. Here we see the heart of Jesus. He's not all about keeping all the power for himself. He has shown already in Luke that he did not need the disciples. He could have done everything on his own rather than with these tax collectors, fishermen, and whatnot, who were weak and sinful, just like us. But he chose to come alongside them and share his ministry with them, just as he chooses us to partner with him in sharing the gospel with others. We see this truth throughout the whole Bible. God chooses to work out his purpose throughout sin, through sinful man. The question is why? I know there's lots of biblical answers and evidence here, but it still, still makes me wonder why. Uh, I really don't have a good answer. But re- recently I had a situation that came up that had caused me to, uh, to grapple this idea. I had a conversation with someone, and how I responded to it and, and the uh, events that followed left me kind of struggling with myself. I saw how my personality had functioned in the, in the conversation, and and what happened afterwards, and, and how the, it was kind of a detriment to the situation. And I questioned myself. Now, if you're an Enneagram person, uh, I, I'm a peacemaker. Um, and I know that the tests are not 100% right all the time, and obviously everybody's different, but uh, I found it to be pretty accurate for myself. But anyway, um, I felt like my personality was dumb <laughs> and useless, and I wondered how anybody could use uh, you know, this gift in ministry. Well, it might sound silly to you, uh, but I imagine many of you might feel something similar, just not the point of treating your personality as a thing and calling it names. However, through this situation, God has helped me better understand how I tick and be able to um, better use my uh, personality um, and kind of overcome the negative the negative side of it. Uh, But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus wants to come alongside you and me in all our mess and share his work with us. Now, if you believe your mess is too much for Jesus, there's a perfect example in this passage to say otherwise. Judas, the one who stole from uh, the ministry and betrayed Jesus, um, which led to his death, was one of the 12 that Jesus gave power to and shared his ministry with. Now, I'm not really sure what to do with that, and I kind of thought through that with uh, really no conclusions. But one thing that does give me encouragement is to know that Jesus can and desires to work through me and through you to do his work. Just like Jesus did with the disciples, he empowers us to do his work today. Jesus gives us power through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. This power can often be seen through spiritual gifts. Our spiritual gifts may look different than the empowerment that the disciples received, uh, but they are no less important. For myself, I can't say that uh, Jesus has given me the power to heal anybody, nor have I cast out any demons. That's not to say that he doesn't do that, um, because I've heard many stories of him doing just that. However, there are different ways 
that the Spirit empowers us through the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, gives us some samples of the, way it's, of the ways. It says, now there, were, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who portions to each one individually as he wills. And there's one phrase I want to highlight here, and that is in everyone. God empowers every Christian through the Spirit for the common good. Now, since everyone here knows what the word everyone means, uh, I don't think we need to expound upon that. Uh, but before we move on, I do want to make one comment here um, about demons. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Jacob spoke about this uh, in the passage about the, the pigs. But I just want to say, while they're, uh, they might not be as obvious as they, are, uh, as they were back then, uh, they're still around today and um, influencing the world and the church. I'm not saying that to scare you, but I just want you to be aware that maybe in some situations there might be going on more than you, uh, than you can see. That's why one of the spiritual gifts that we read in 1 Corinthians is the ability to distinguish between spirits. The next point we're going to see is that Jesus does not only empower us to do his work, but he also provides for us while doing it. We're going to see that in verses 3 through 6. So I'm going to read them again for us. It says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus told them to take nothing on their journey. No snacks for along the way, no extra pair of socks in case one gets wet, uh, no money. Now this doesn't sound... Uh, like the best packing list um, for all you uh, preppers out there. Um, now, I personally can be OCD when I'm uh, packing. Uh, I will double and triple check that I put something in my, in my suitcase and then still feel uncomfortable that maybe it's not there. It's irrational, I know. But um, how I finally break the cycle is I realize, all right, I have, I have a phone, I have my wallet, so I have money, I have clothes. If I forgot anything, you know, I can, I can at least buy what I need to make, make do. But here we see that the disciples weren't even allowed to take money with them. They had to rely on other people. Um, they couldn't buy anything that they needed, nor could they get a hotel room if nobody uh, let them come into their house. Now, why did Jesus give this direction? As I, th as I thought through and uh, studied this, I came up with three effects that doing this could have for the disciples as well as for us today. The first, and the most evident, is that the disciples would have to rely on Jesus for their needs. 
They had to trust that wherever they went, Jesus would provide a place for them to stay. They had to trust that when they were hungry, Jesus would bring someone along that would give them food to eat. They had to trust that if their sandal got a hole in it, Jesus would bring somebody along that would either give them a new sandal or fix the sandal that they had. This reliance on Jesus' provision would increase their faith as they saw him providing in different ways. It would also cause them to have a closer relationship with him. A second effect is that Jesus brings more people into his ministry as he works through other people to provide the needs for the disciples. This goes back to the main point. Jesus wants to share his work with people. He's not exclusive. He wants to be inclusive. Back in 1 Corinthians, uh, after the passage we read, uh, Paul mentions more spiritual gifts, including the gift of helping. The gift of helping is not as grandiose as healing or commanding demons. But without people, ha- without people helping the twelve, they would not have been able to carry out their mission. So, by the seemingly irrational direction that Jesus gave, Jesus was able to share his ministry with more than just the apostles. Jesus uses all sorts of people with different gifts to bring about his kingdom plan. Whether those gifts are major ones or seemingly minor, Jesus uses them to bring about his purposes. The final effect is that it created a different type of spiritual leadership than the leaders of the time. See, the church leaders during that time essentially ruled over the people. They saw themselves as holier than everybody else, and they treated other people that way. They, they often were wealthy as well. By taking nothing with them, they related more to the poor and the outcasts. Their authority didn't come from their social status, but from God alone. Rather than ruling over them, they served alongside them. This is the way Jesus chose to lead, and he was teaching his disciples to do the same as well as us today. This type of leadership also encourages humility. When you're in need and relying on other people, it's really hard to be proud. In this passage, Jesus also makes a comment about the town who refuses to provide the needs for disciples. He says, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now that might sound funny to us, but that was a cultural thing back then. At the time, dusting off their feet was a way of removing the defilement from their body, as they may have done when they returned from traveling from a a Gentile country. However, Jesus is using it here not as a way of purifying the disciples, but as a way as a a testimony against the village. In the Gospel of Matthew, we get some more clarity to what's going on here. In chapter 10, verse 14 to 15, we read, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. See, Jesus is comparing the rejection of his disciples and their word as the rejection of God by Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, if anyone rejects the apostles, they will be rejecting God himself. This further further solidifies Jesus' view of ministry the disciples were doing. They were completely sharing in Jesus' ministry, so much so that he saw them as a direct extension of himself. To think that Jesus would desire to have a sinful person like me be his ambassador uh, for one that's as holy as he is uh, just boggles my mind, but we see here that he does choose to do that. 
Uh, before moving on to the final point, I want to briefly look at verses 7 through 9. Uh, let me read those for you. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now, this seems kind of random um, in the text, but it uh, functions in, in two literary ways for you book English people. Uh, first of all, it works as an aside to the story that we're reading. Nobody in the story knows this is going on. It's taking place in a, in probably in the palace somewhere far away. But yet it adds perspective to the story. In it, we see John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. Now, when we last knew, John had been imprisoned by Herod uh, for speaking out against something that he did. We also see that Jesus and his disciples are now on Herod's radar, and if they keep up what they're doing, they might end up like John. Now, Jesus had been doing miracles for a while. Why suddenly did uh, Herod care and pay attention to him? Well, if you, if you think from a human perspective, it's one thing to see a person do some amazing things, either physically or uh, with their agility, but it's a whole other thing for them to be able to give that ability to somebody else. The fact that Jesus is able to give his ability to heal and authority over demons to others, however that works through his spirit or uh, we don't really know, but he did. Uh, this gives evidence that Jesus is not just a man. Uh, in a ruler's eyes, like Herod, what was to stop Jesus from empowering an army and potentially overthrow the government? This works as a, a second form of uh, literary function, and that's foreshadowing. Because of these events, Herod is seeking to meet Jesus. This is finally fulfilled in chapter 23 when Jesus comes before Herod as part of the trial that leads to his crucifixion. Now, there's more that can be said here, but we're going to move on to the, the final point. And that's that Jesus is gracious when we are doing his work. We're going to see that in verses 10 through 17. Let's uh, refresh that and I'll read it for us. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, and go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them sit, all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. And we see Jesus' graciousness uh, in three ways in this passage. Up until this moment, we almost get this impression that the 12 apostles are 
these superhuman Christians. They've been given power over demons, um, they're healing people. Jesus, who is God, is saying they should be treated as if they were him. But Jesus knows that they are human. So when they come back after their mission, they tell him everything that happened, and he takes them away from the people into the sticks of Bethsaida for presumably some R&R. Jesus saw that the disciples were tired from their work, and he knew the importance of a break from ministry. Frequently we see uh, in Scripture that Jesus pulls away and spends time alone. In fact, right after the story, we see in verse 18 that he was praying alone and his disciples were with him. Doing Jesus', doing Jesus work can cause fatigue, just like doing any other work. So it's important to take time away in order to rest and recover. This is often a challenge for myself as well as most humans. Uh, we feel like if we aren't doing anything, then we're really not doing anything. We're failing God by not doing his work or failing friends and families by not doing all the things that they need or want. In the end, no matter how much we work, we feel like we're failing. However, that is not how Jesus sees us. He knows that we're human and frail, and because, because he was human as well. He is gracious to us when we are weak, and so we should be gracious to ourselves as well. The author of Ecclesiastes gives us some perspective on what rest should look like. In chapter 3, 12 through 13, it says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So the author realized the importance of taking a break from work and enjoying the life that God gave them. Now, if that's something you struggle with, um, I encourage you to read a book uh, by Peter Casero. I don't know. Uh, it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, I found this book personally to be helpful. Um, there's lots of other books as well. But this is really, um, you know, part of God's heart is you can't always just do everything. Yet you have to have time to, to sit back and, uh, and take a break. The second way we see Jesus being gracious is in the failure of the disciples. While Jesus and the disciples are on their break, they get interrupted by the crowds of people that heard where they were going. Just think of like a Taylor Swift concert, and you get, you get the idea. Uh, Jesus welcomes them and proceeds to heal the sick and preach the gospel. This goes on all day until the evening settles in, and the disciples are like, hey, you know, these people don't have anything to eat. Let's uh, send them away. Obviously, they're not going to pitch their tents here in the desert. Jesus simply responds, you give them something to eat. Now, if you don't slow down and take time to consider the context of the statement, it's easy to just skate on past and miss what Jesus is doing here with this statement. The disciples had just returned from doing miracles through Jesus' power to meet people's needs of healing and also having their needs met by Jesus' providence with food and housing. So when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, he's given them the opportunity to continue their ministry and meet the needs of these people's needs, just as Jesus had provided for theirs. But instead of pursuing Jesus' power to provide, they say they don't have enough food to feed all these people, and we should send them away so they can find housing as well. The two things that they were just 
being provided for. So essentially they failed the test that Jesus had gave them. But rather than the, uh, responding in frustration, Jesus acts graciously and allows the disciples to be part of this miracle. He has them separate all the people. He has them deliver the bread and collect all that was left over. So they're still able to share in this miracle, even though they didn't take leadership that, the God, that God was trying to have them do. Um, at the end of the story, Jesus draws the connection back to his provision for the disciples and the fact that there was 12 baskets of food left over. That was not, uh, not irony. He wants them to know that even in their failure, he will still provide, and not only provide, but overabundantly provide for those who are seeking him. In this failure, we see Jesus' heart of grace for the disciples and for us. Jesus knows that we're going to fail from time to time and maybe much more often than we succeed. But he still desires to work through us and work around those things. The final way we see Jesus being gracious is in his provision for the people. Jesus was in the middle of trying to spend some time with disciples um, you know, some, some downtime when he gets interrupted from, by this crowd. Rather than turning them away, he graciously welcomes them and begins healing and preaching the gospel. And he doesn't do this for five minutes. He does this all day long. He was gracious in providing for them food to eat. Even though there was a town close that so they could go take care of their own food, his heart was to care for them. Now, um, this provision was no minor feat. In Luke's account of the story, he only includes them out of men, about 5,000, uh, which is a lot of people at that. But in Matthew's account, we see that there were women and children there as well, not just men. That's a lot of people. And to help quantify that number, would it be about, um, about right around the population of Epping, New Hampshire? So Jesus fed pretty much a small town, and he had 12 baskets of food left over, um, after just having five loaves of bread and two fish. This miracle puts into perspective Jesus' heart. He has desire and the ability to meet people's needs above and beyond uh, any of our expectations. So in conclusion, uh, we can see through Jesus' empowerment, provision, and grace that he wants us to be part of his ministry. It doesn't matter our weaknesses, our lack, or our failures— Jesus desires to work through us to carry out his mission and the world, and he will. You just need to open, be open and willing to do what he has for you. It may be something as big as being a missionary to another country, or maybe something as small as bringing a meal to someone in need. No matter what stage of life you're in or what abilities Jesus has given you, or what personality, you have the ability to do something for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, um, for your goodness uh, to us. Just thank you, Lord, for loving us and including you in your work. Just thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you provide for us. I just pray that we will uh, go out today and seek your will in our lives and working on, work on willing, living that will out with others. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.